0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis.
1: All right, welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Very excited to have Jay Bear on the program today. Let's just jump right into it. Jay, good morning and thank you for joining me. How are you?
0: David, I'm living the dream. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Fired up about it.
1: What does living the dream feel like? Because it's still relatively the beginning of uh, 2019, and, and I want to know what the dream looks like for you these days.
0: Here's the dream, man. Somebody asked me one time on a show, like, how do you define success? And I said, I, I, I've got that one licked. I spend my time exclusively with people I want to spend time with, doing things I want to spend time on. Uh, I have managed to engineer a life and a lifestyle with an extraordinary company that, that um, you know, I, I, I say no a lot. And to me, that's, uh, that's living the dream.
1: It is difficult to do. It was something that I learned not too early in my life was to say no and to surround yourself with Good people, right? We've all had those people that are just a drain on you, and they want lots of advice and lots of support. There seems to be a high correlation between them not taking it, uh, and so uh, good, good advice. <laughs> yeah. On the personal side, we've got to hit something before we get into the content, and that sure. is the J. Bear wardrobe. Um, it's, yeah. it's so branded. It's so unique. It's so J. How does it come about? And if, if for those of you that have never seen Jay on stage which I don't you must be living under a rock or something, the man has the most tailored suits outfits and they're colorful and they're striped yeah. and they're checkered and they're they just make such a such a statement so so much a part of your personal brand so do tell
0: I, I have a, a wide-ranging collection of, uh, of plaid suits for sure in fact the uh, the way it works now is that when somebody books me to give a, a presentation. Uh, a week out, uh, we send them a link, and it it goes to a website that's called dressjaybear.com dot com, and the meeting planner gets to actually select which suit I wear at their event. Wow! And then it dro- and then drops on my calendar, so I remember to pack the right suit uh, when I leave, which is kind of cool. So, so it, it it evolved over time. Um, so I I. Started off because I was an internet guy, you know, as we all are, technology guy, and and so uh, you know it was sort of the technology uniform, right? You're sort of a t-shirt and jeans, and maybe then you put a sport coat over the t-shirt because that seems respectable. Yeah. uh... And <laughs> and you know, so I was I was doing that uniform, and then I thought, you know, look, um, if you're going to do something, you might as well do something a little different that people will remember. And of course, now I have a whole book on that same topic, uh, and and so I I got a new suit guy, I have a suit guy who makes my suits because I'm kind of a Frankenstein shape, so mm-hmm. off the rack requires a ton of tailoring for me, so it's just actually easier to have them made than it is to buy one and tweak it. Uh, and so I got a new suit guy, and this is, geez, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, seven years ago, I guess, eight years ago. And and I said, hey, do you have any, like, fabrics that are, like, a little bit more weird? And he said, yeah, but nobody ever asked for them because, you know, he's doing, like, bankers and, you know, accountants or whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I think I'd be interested in, in some of those. So he brought me a swatch book, and I'm like, well, you know let's just try this one, and it was uh you know there's a little unusual. Uh, kind of a red and blue check and I started wearing it on occasion, man, that jacket's awesome. And then that gave me the confidence to push a little farther, a little farther, and then over a period of like a couple years, uh, it got to the point where, you know, I only wear suits, not blazers, and each one is, is sort of more crazy than the next. And now my concern is, at what point does it tip over into farce, right? You become like Craig Sager, uh, you know, rest in peace, or, or uh, Don Cherry, the hockey announcer, right? So, you know, where, where do you cross the line from noteworthy uh, to, to ridiculous? And so I have to make sure I stay on the right side of that line.
1: Yeah, well, it is, you know, for—we've uh, all seen Steve Jobs present on stage many times, and he always had his, his uniform, right, his black-on-black. Black. So if there was a continuum, a spectrum, uh, Steve is on the left, and you're— it sounds like you don't want to take the most right position, but you're pretty far right, and and I love it. So Jay. no,
0: for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, my my idea is like let's let's wear a suit that is that nobody's ever seen before, but isn't a comic book character.
1: Yeah, well said. Well, thank you again for joining the program. Uh, you know, we we met before we actually ever met. I picked up yeah. some of your first books and. Got a lot from them, uh, you know my company spends most of the time helping people with marketing operations and marketing technology, so your content on content and other aspects of, of marketing greatly appreciated. I think you're now Thank up you. to what uh, six books and, and talk triggers books, is, yeah. is the six It is indeed did you aspire growing up to to be an author and, and to write books? Was this part of the game plan or how would that come about?
0: Um, not. Really, I was definitely a writer. Uh, as as uh, in high school, I I wrote a lot and won some awards. But I was a journalist, so I was the editor of the school newspaper and and was a journal, journalism major initially in college. And and so I my goal, and I'm old, so this will make sense in that context. Um, my goal as a young person was to go work as an investigative reporter for the Washington Post. Like mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. That was my thing. And then I I was in college and I fell in love with politics. And political campaigns and how people get elected, and so I changed my major to poli sci and I became a political consultant, and that required uh, you know additional writing, but of a different type. I was a direct mail specialist for a long time and wrote a lot of political direct mail, and and then got out of politics, thankfully, um, and and got into more what we'd consider now to be traditional marketing, and wrote a lot of newspaper ads and, and brochure copy and things like that, but had never really conceptualized writing a book uh, until I started Convince & Convert uh, 10 years ago. And so I started blogging every day, and, 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 and literally a publisher came to me and said, hey, we love your blog, do you ever think about writing a book? And I was like, yeah, actually I have been thinking about it, and, and uh, there you go.
1: Love it. Well, um, for those of you meeting Jay for the first time uh, today, look him up. Look at his books on Amazon. Great content. Hug Your Haters and um, was a favorite of mine. He's got several different podcasts, a Social Pros podcast. And when he's not out public speaking and writing books, uh, is the founder of Convince and Convert, which consults for firms and and helps them improve their marketing, which is what we're going to talk about today. So um, I guess I'm going to ask one last question about the books. Prior to Talk Triggers, did you have a favorite? Is there one that you just love more than the others in, in terms of either writing it or just what you've what you've gotten from it?
0: Uh, yeah, I, li- I like them all. I mean, you spend that kind of time
1: yeah. your working babies. on a
0: project. You have to like it, right? Uh, otherwise, you just you know kill the project. But probably the one that, that has stood the test of time the best is Utility, yeah. which is my book about uh, using content to be helpful, and that's how you break through uh, customer... Um, uh, sort of ennui and 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 that book and the principles in that book have been adopted uh, very widely by marketing departments all around the world and so from a from a, a legacy perspective and a, you know contributing to kind of the lingua franca of of marketing that one has uh, has been really successful and and I'm uh, proud of it
1: Nice. That was the first book I got of yours, uh, Utility. Oh, good. Still, still have it at home. Dug into it, and thank you for sending me Talk Triggers, which I read through. And I want to disclose something uh, to you right now. I like chicken. I do like chicken. <laughs> uh, good. You know. Good. How and, much is the question? Yeah. I like it a lot, and and for those yeah. of you who wonder why, there's a whole chapter starting off with uh, whether you like chicken. So you know, there's the old saying, right? You, you can always eat chicken at home. You don't go out when you when you go to restaurants and order, but I love chicken. So if there's especially my guilty pleasure is fried chicken. So if there's fried chicken on a menu, I'm assuming yeah. they know how to do it right if it's not Colonel Sanders, like an actual well, restaurant. Well I think
0: that's true. I actually think that's true for all chicken dishes on in nice restaurants, right? That 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 if if they're gonna have chicken on the menu and they also have a bunch of so they got beef and they got pork and they got a bunch of really interesting fish dishes. Like if you're gonna have chicken, that chicken is probably pretty darn good for it to be on the menu alongside all these other kind of more daring choices so i I order chicken out quite a bit, and i 'm usually pretty happy uh, because you know it 's got to meet a threshold for inclusion in the menu
1: yeah well it was it was a nice way to start off the chapter and talk about the cheesecake factory uh, yeah I, I did not know that they have eighty five different chicken dishes on the menu. A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So, talk to me about uh, talk triggers from your perspective. What What was the genesis for writing the book? And uh, I definitely want to uh, lean in a bit and tell you about a story about uh, my friends Scott and Catherine Heller, who own Heller Jewelers out here in the East okay. Bay, um, because I think it's very relevant to uh, some of the things that you shared in the, in the book. But what were you hoping to you know, get people to think about by by writing the book and take away?
0: You know, I I, I write all the books uh, for the same. Reason and, and under the same set of circumstances, which is, it's great having a consulting firm because we're we're working with you know real clients uh, every day. And and what happens is when I when I see uh, clients asking the same question or the same types of questions over and over, I'm like, huh. If these guys who are some of the biggest companies in the world that we work with don't know the answer, then nobody knows this answer. And in this case, what was happening is they were saying to me and my team, uh, hey, we feel like we've got a better handle now on the mechanics of social the mechanics of marketing, the mechanics of content marketing, et cetera. But we're not really sure what to say. Like we, we know what buttons to push. We're not really sure what we should be saying now. And I'm like, geez, if they don't know what their story is, that's a real problem. And so I'd been talking about the power of word of mouth and Talk Triggers for eight years. I said, well, maybe it's time now for the actual book. And so mm-hmm. uh, my, my friend Daniel Lemon and I sat down and wrote the Talk Triggers book And it really is the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth. Now, word of mouth is the oldest form of marketing. It was originally the only marketing that we had. Yet... Uh, somewhere along the line, we all kind of took a nap on the power of word of mouth. And even today, uh, despite the fact that word of mouth is unquestionably the number one way that people make buying decisions, and in B2B, certainly some of your uh, customers, David, uh, 91% of all B2B purchases are influenced by word of mouth. 91%. That's huge. Yet, nobody, and I mean almost nobody, has an actual word of mouth strategy they got a content strategy social strategy demand gen strategy sales strategy hr strategy pr strategy nobody has a word of mouth strategy we just take it for granted it's the most important thing in sales and marketing and we just assume that our customers will talk about us and that completely puzzles me and so we said my god here we are it's 2018 at the time we need to give people a system for them to be able to do word of mouth on purpose, instead of doing word of mouth on accident, mm-hmm. uh, and that system is uh, contained in the pages of Talk Triggers.
1: Yeah, that's you know that was what stood out to me. You know, as a as a guy who's you know brought frameworks like the demand funnel and lead scoring frameworks and lead management frameworks and ABM frameworks, it's exactly that, right? How do you have a strategy if you don't know a framework for it? And you know, you talked about B2B marketing, but I was giving you, uh, I mentioned the example of my friend, the Hellers, who run mm-hmm. a jewelry store out in San Ramon. And it's Valentine's, you know, time of the year. And I was in there looking at ideas for Miss Tiffany. She's probably not listening to this program, or by the time she does, she won't know. But I said to them, I said, so Scott, Catherine, you guys are such a family-oriented business. You do such a great job with everything that you provide and design. And yet there's nothing on your front door and nothing on your you know area where you do you know purchasing that even indicates that you guys are on social media or anywhere on the web <laughs> so how do I share my story you know when I pick up an item from you and I'm really excited about what I just got maybe it's an engagement ring, maybe it's a piece of jewelry um, you know different buyers buying different things right they're they're all connected to some type of story right it's not probably just a casual gift could be but it it probably is tied to a life event. And yet there was nothing there so I could think about, you know, or the recipient think about taking a picture and sharing their story and say, you know, thank you, Heller Jewelers, for yada yada. And they go, God, we wouldn't have even thought about that. And and to your point, like, that seems so common sense. I mean, that's B2C and in in a retail Store and there 's so much they could be doing, you know they do have a Facebook uh, account, they do have uh, other social media accounts, and they do do some content publishing and other things, but they really weren 't like you said they didn 't apply a strategy to word of mouth, just maybe hoping that it would happen, but no yep. no actual game plan well, I so, mean there's
0: there's tons of good word of mouth books out there that have been written before it 's not like I invented the idea that word of mouth is important, far from it uh, that story's been told over and over like there's lots of great books that say. Word about is important, but what we haven't had until now, I think, this is the real contribution that Daniel and I came up with, is an actual framework, right? So here's how you here's how you actually do it. Um, because one of the things that, that we have all fooled ourselves into thinking in business is that competency creates conversation. That that if you just run a good business, people will talk about you. But that's not actually the way customers behave. We physiologically are wired as human beings to discuss things that are different and and ignore things that are average. Now David, I don't know all your listeners. I probably know some of them for sure, but, but I know this. Nobody has ever said, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. No, they don't. It's not a story, right? So so if you want your customers to tell your story, you have to give them a story. And, and hey, this restaurant's good, the food is good uh, is not a story because they expected that to happen. They expected the food to be good. The only way they're going to tell that story is if the food is really bad or somehow you deliver a food that is so over the top, so outside their boundary zone, which is why molecular gastronomy works, um, that that's so outside their frame of reference that they tell the story. But that is really hard to do. Competency is almost impossible uh, to use as the fulcrum for word of mouth.
1: I like the part of the book. Um, I don't recall what chapter it was, but you called out DoubleTree and their um, mm-hmm. the cookies that they provide. Yeah, and do you happen to know Stan Phelps? Is have you crossed paths with Stan before? Of okay, course, right. Yeah. So, for those that don't know, Stan, uh, I hired Stan. In fact, he's coming up on the podcast later this year. Oh, I don't good. know the exact date, but right. well, I hired Stan's company to come in uh, for a company offsite that we had a couple of years ago in San Diego and teach the concept of the purple goldfish, which is, which is what Doubletree does, right? It's, Doubletree gives you warm chocolate chip cookies if you've ever stayed there, every single time that you stay there. And it's what he calls a purple goldfish. It's, it's something that is institutionalized. It's not a random act of giving where somebody gets a cookie maybe when they're in there. It's part of their process, their, their customer's journey. Um, he talks also, right, about Five Guys, where you know Five Guys intentionally puts extra fries at the bottom of the bag because yes. they know that those yes. just taste so much more delicious delicious. So, you know, are you encouraging that type of purple goldfish or institutionalized experiences to create the word of mouth? Maybe you could share a little bit of some of your ideas. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. In fact, one of the key uh, requirements for a talk trigger, which we define as a strategic operational choice that compels word of mouth, one of the key elements is that it has to be repeatable meaning that it is accessible to all customers. It's not just for your best customers. It's not just for your new customers. It's not just on Wednesdays. It's not just on ladies' Night. It's something that you do the same every time. Every customer at Doubletree gets a cookie. It's not only people who are in the Hilton Honors Rewards program. It's every customer because that's what separates word of mouth strategy from surprise and delight, from a PR stunt, from Mm -hmm. an, an attempt to go viral. And, and and maybe you will go viral, but maybe you won't. And the reality is when you try to go viral or, or do something uh, one time, that's, that's a lottery ticket. That's not a strategy. And I'm not a fan of lottery ticket marketing. I, I want something uh, reliable, repeatable, sustainable that customers will talk about every day, week, month, quarter, and year. That's how you actually build a business, uh, not with random acts of weirdness, right? So... Um, Doubletree is a great example because they've been giving out warm chocolate chip cookies to every guest every day now for 30 years. Yeah. 30 years, right? So today and every day, they will distribute uh, approximately 75,000 cookies. Now, Daniel and I, when we wrote the book, did a big research project and we talked to hundreds and hundreds of Doubletree guests and found that 34% of them have told a story about that cookie, which means that every day, including today, approximately 22,500 stories will be told about that cookie. Now, on a related point, when's the last time you saw a Doubletree ad? Not very often, right? Because the the cookie is the ad and the guests are the sales and marketing department.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're pointing out that the the cookie is consistent. It's not for a certain class of customer. It's to every customer and they've been doing it for 30 years. What are some of the other requirements that kind of make up um, a talk trigger?
0: You want it to be remarkable, right? In the classic definition of that, uh, Seth Godin talked about this in Purple Cow, right? It has to be worthy of remark, right? It has to be a story worth telling. Uh, So something that people don't expect. If they expect it, they won't talk about it because it's like, well, yeah, that's... I I flicked the switch and lights came on. Like, uh uh-huh. I'm not going to tell that story. So it has to be remarkable. Uh, You don't usually get a warm chocolate chip cookie handed to you hand-to-hand in a hotel. Right. You might get a pile of cookies... But it's not warm. They don't hand it to you. right? That's mm-hmm. what makes it remarkable. So it's got to be remarkable. It's got to be repeatable, as we just talked about, that everybody gets access to it. Mm-hmm. It should be reasonable, uh, meaning that it, it should not be too big. A lot of times now in business, uh, we, we try to break through consumer inattention by making the story really big. And We're going to do this crazy thing. And that, like, you, you see it all the time in B2B, right? It's Like, okay, guys, we're going to have a contest, right? And we're going to put all the customers' names in a fishbowl. And then we're going to pull out a name, and one of you is going to win an island. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> island? Like, how's that going to work? Not- so when we, when we make it too big, it actually stops the story because then the consumers are like, wait a second. Like, what's the catch here? When, when you when you give customers experiences that are too grand, it actually creates suspicion, not conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you want it to be reasonable. Like it's a, you know it's a really good cookie, and they make a lot of them. But at the surface, like it's just a cookie, right? It's not a car, it's not an island, it's not a free getaway. It's a chocolate chip cookie, right? Like it's not overwhelmingly giant in its scope and scale. And that's one of the reasons why it makes sense, right? It's a story that people can understand because like oh yeah, it's a cookie.
1: Well, such, my brain's like firing off in many different like turn back times. So I remember uh, very early on when we started the company, um, I used to get all these... uh, they were mainly emails with attachments from the procurement departments of our clients, and so we mostly service, as, as you know, enterprise clients and mid-market clients. And many of those procurement departments will send us letters nearing the end of the year, which is a reminder that do not, you know, that it's their um, gift policies that we can't send mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. clients certain gifts over a certain dollar amount, typically like twenty-five dollars. Uh, you know, government has even greater restrictions on it. You know, depending on the industry. So I used to have fun with those, and I would get them. I remember sending one to uh, folks at NetApp who were still a client nine years later, and I said, "I'm sorry, I've had to cancel your Ferrari um, uh, order." Um, and you know, we had some some fun with that. But I, it's it's such a good point that like. I remember buying lisa lee if you're if you 're out there listening to demand gen radio she 's a consultant these days. She used to work at Salesforce and she was their head of marketing operations and We did Salesforce uh, marketing automation deployment years ago and major major large, large project and One night she just mentioned to me that she was moving with her husband and they were moving to a new place, and she was talking about music, and she loves music, and I love music, and she's like, "I just would love to have music in my place." So I bought her a Sono speaker, and she sent it back to me. And she said two things: one, most thoughtful gift I've ever gotten. Clearly, you were listening to my passions, but I just I can't accept it. And when I talked to her later on, you know, she said to me, "Jay, what you you know said was I." She felt uncomfortable about it, which is the exact opposite reaction I wanted her to have. And while we're still friends and and still collaborate to this day. It was an important point for me to remember that you can be too generous or too giving and make, you know, just an awkward situation. And the other thing is, if we're doing this at scale, right, like the chocolate chip cookies, it's got to be reasonable or we can't fit it in the budget. And so such great advice that you have, which is, you know, be remarkable, something worthwhile to tell something about, uh, tell someone about, be be relevant. I think the cookies, you know, we're in their home, right? And chocolate chip cookies like real estate and, and repeat Yeah, the relevant
0: thing is, is key. Like that's the fourth uh, the fourth requirement that we point out that it should be relevant. The cookie makes sense, right? Um, see, there's 14 brands in the Hilton portfolio. You've got the Conrad at the high end. You've got regular Hilton. You've got Doubletree. You've got Hilton Garden Inn, Hampton Inn, blah, blah, blah. Well, each of them has their own brand positioning, which is important because they don't want each of their own uh, brands to be competing for the exact same guest because that's really inefficient, right? So they try to keep some separation there. The, the Doubletree brand positioning is the warm welcome. So what they want is to kind of own that seven, eight minutes between when you step foot on property and when you step foot in your actual hotel room. They want that to be a really great experience. So yeah. consequently, Doubletree spends more time, money, effort on lobby design than most hotels at that price point. And they spend more time, money, effort on front desk clerk training than most hotels at that price point. The warm chocolate chip cookie ceremony, and it is a ceremony. Again, it's a hand-to-hand pass. That's part of that, right? So warm welcome, warm cookie, right? It makes sense. So let me tell you another story. There's a guy in New York. His name is Jay Sofer and he's a locksmith. And his talk trigger is that once he re-keys your apartment or you know, whatever he's doing, he does a, a comprehensive security audit of your premise. So he checks every door, every window, and says, oh, you know what, you might wanna work on this, I wanna check on this. And he does it totally for free. He is the highest rated locksmith in New York City. He's one of the highest rated businesses in all of New York City on Yelp. He's tremendously successful. Now imagine uh, the last two stories were reversed. Imagine Jay Sofer comes to your house Rekeys keys your apartment and it says, David, um, before I go, would you like a warm chocolate chip cookie that I made in my locksmith van? You would say, I do not want that. <laughs> that is a thing that I do that I do not want that and I'm kind of creepy. freaked out about yeah, that. Yeah, like and how did this
1: Are there a little on the van?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right." Imagine you go to Doubletree and they say, David, before you get to your room, would you like us to perform a, th- a thorough security audit? You would say, well, if that's required, I'd like to leave now. Uh, so th- each of those makes sense in the context of who they are and what they do. And and the best talk triggers, the best word-of-mouth strategies uh, work that way.
1: I want to give a shout-out to one of our partners, Mintigo, who uh, their head of customer success is Aaron Peterson. And she... Um, has institutionalized a lot of these things into the company and also creates a lot of just great customer uh, experiences and it's um what i what i took away from the book reading it is you really helped me think through how we at demand gen could put some of this into a more repeatable process not so random uh, but actually the the structure of it and you know what do you think too about jay in that what you know, just telling someone about your chocolate chip cookie experience get someone to stay at a double tree hotel so the relatable aspect is you know when i give the example of of the hellers right it was talking and showing about you know sharing your story and that type of stuff to maybe go and say, yeah i should probably go over there and get a uh-huh. valentine's day uh-huh. gift or or something else so how do you how do you make that connection right we're we're all well, one thing we do do in b2b marketing is go get customer uh, success stories, or sometimes they call them case studies, which right. I hope we get rid of that uh-huh. term someday, right? Um, but customer success stories, or we'll use customers, uh, you know, for references and ask them, hey, would you mind being a reference for this person? This, so again, those are those are not institutionalized. They're not, and in fact, that's getting and not giving, right? Um, yeah, from right. from those folks, so. What are some other suggestions you have for like people listening and going, well, A, you you should read the book because you're just going to have a whole whiteboard of ideas that you can uh, put into place. But what about that relevance of would I want to go work with this locksmith because he does X, Y or Z? In that case, I think, you know, the the audits and the stuff that he does. This was the greatest locksmith ever. He did the following thing, so you should hire him too. It makes great <laughs> sense. How do we in B2B, you know, make that you know, how does like one of our clients, Splunk, do that, right? They they right. they sell the invisible in some ways. Their technology is used mm-hmm. down deep. So how do we how do they get someone to talk about uh, them or, or anyone else for that matter?
0: Yeah, I mean there's some great B2B examples in the book, even some B2B tech examples like Uber Flip and Uber Conference and uh let's choose three or four other ones, right? And and so Usually in, in those kind of circumstances, right, where you don't have as much uh, personal interaction with, with customers, right? You, you want to give them a talk trigger, a discussion point that speaks about the overall experience or the values of the company, right? So uh, Uber Conference is a good one, right? So Uber Conference is a free V O I P conference calling service. There's yep. lots and lots and lots of those puns. They all sell the exact same thing. It is a free conference call using the Internet. They're all exactly the same, except Uber Conference has a talk trigger. They have a differentiator, and their talk trigger is that their on-hold music is hilarious. It's a super funny song uh, about the vagaries of waiting on hold. It's actually written by their CEO, ironically. Uh Um, And every time you use an Uber Conference, you get this very funny on-hold music. Now, if you go to Twitter and just do a search for Uber Conference plus on-hold, you will see Tweet after, tweet, after tweet, after tweet, after tweet, after tweet, after tweet of people saying, oh my god, I'm only going to use this conference calling service from now on because this on hold music is so hilarious. You see the same thing show up in G2 Crowd, you see the same thing show up in Trust Radius. Uh, it is the talk trigger, and quite literally, for that business. Now anybody could do that, but they're the only ones who did, and they took something that was incredibly perfunctory and mundane and forgettable, on hold music, and turned it into a discussion point. Now their talk trigger doesn't speak to the quality of the conference call or anything else, but that's okay. Like people will figure that part out. Like you, you can't make a horse drink water until you lead that horse to water. And the talk trigger, the word of mouth conversation is what leads people to water.
1: What about the skeptics out there? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of marketers and, and salespeople that are listening. I think would you, let me ask you a question. Does your company, have to bless this and do this. can can you can you do this as part of your you know who you are? So if you're a salesperson and you want to create a special uh, talk trigger experience in in your sales process, do you encourage that or does it have to be company blessed?
0: Here's the way I would think about it if If you want to create a talk trigger for David because you want David to be talkable, right? You want people to think David totally fantastic but, but i would not create a talk trigger that is about the brand itself mm-hmm. without making it part of the brand Agreed. right because then you're basically setting up dominoes that you may not be able to um, knock down all the time it becomes inconsistent right yeah. and that's again one of the keys to the talk triggers formula is repeatability so you, you want customer experiences to be consistent over time that's what creates the conversation wave um, if if everybody who experiences David gets this experience, like okay that's fine if it's about David, but if everybody um, who buys from this company gets this experience as long as their sales rep only is David, that gets a little bit weird. And that's one of the things that's hard about this about talk triggers, and one of the reasons why you don't see them as much as you should is that in big organizations you nailed it. Everybody's got to cooperate. In fact, we have a whole chapter about that in the book, is exactly how to do it, what committees to have what roles to have in the planning process, what each of those roles has to bring to the meeting, what the meeting schedule should be, how to measure it, what the reports should be. I mean, it is like exactly the playbook for how to do this, especially in big companies, where it's not as easy as it is for small companies. Uh, And it really is a Noah's Ark. Like, you've got to have somebody from ops and somebody from marketing and somebody from uh, sales and somebody from legal and somebody from finance. Like, everybody's got to work on this, because if you're really going to make this stick, as an organization, like this is, this is, you know, we all have to be on board because the, 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 the dirty secret is this. Word of mouth, even though we say word of mouth marketing, good word of mouth strategy isn't actually marketing. It's operations. It's an operational decision mm-hmm. that creates a marketing advantage but it's not marketing in the classic sense it's not a price a product a promotion it's not a contest a coupon a campaign right. it's an operational decision yeah. and and that means everybody's got to be on board
1: when we when we worked on our acts of giving and and you know uh, inspired by Stan we broke into groups and we talked about a number of different things and i was in the group and and susan tricka who's our finance manager shout out to susan um She told me that was the stupidest idea ever. Here was what was my idea. And after reading the book, I think, you know what, at the the time, I thought, that was a great idea. And, you know, because of all the points that you make about how to determine whether it's a good uh, talk trigger, it was when we send invoices, um, I thought, you know, nobody ever looks forward to getting an invoice, you know, it's... It's um it's just not something that you like get excited about. Oh, I got an invoice from Demand Gen for the project they just did or <laughs> what have you, right? So my idea was Susan, why don't you go cuz she, you know, she likes she likes cocktails and she likes food and and so do I and I said, "Why don't you put, you know, a recipe on the back of the invoice every single time?" So when an invoice goes right. out, there's this really great recipe on the back and she goes, "That is the stupidest idea ever. Like nobody wants that." And I go, "I I don't know about that." And, and in reading your book, like, it really made me rethink, nah, you know, it's A, it's not relatable, right? I mean, oh, go be a demand-gen client so when you get an invoice, you get this really incredible, you know, recipe. But I just was trying to think about different parts of our buyer's journey to enhance the experience. And yep. then uh, Tiffany, our head of marketing, she came up with party in a box, which was, you know, marketers don't often feel like heroes. Our mission of our company is is making our clients heroes. And so the party in the box was, when we complete a major project with one of our clients, they get this party in a box. It has, you know, streamers, confetti, and, you know, uh, king and queen hats, and all kinds of stuff like that, and so they open really it good. up. I love it. And so did I, and so did she, and so did the organization, but guess what, we failed on the operations side. To your point, like, how do you know when the project was complete? What type of project is worthy of it? How does it get yeah. operationalized in the CRM and that type of stuff? And it, we found that it was much harder to do this regular and consistent, and also fairly expensive. And so, great idea, okay. but you know, there's there's a better one, right? And so, your 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 point about making it operational is really key. Uh, I want to also talk about just. How do you know if it's working, right? I mean, you had a whole chapter, uh, if I recall, on, on testing and measurement and really separated yeah. the two of those things. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that a little bit, too, because that's what I was going to say with the skeptics earlier, right? It's like, oh, well, here's marketing doing something else, you know, spending more money right. and, you know, right. sending out cookies to people and, and stuff like yeah. that. So what do you... Well, what,
0: I mean, here one thing is I think you, it's, it's helpful to characterize it as an investment, not an expense, because if your talk trigger works and your word-of-mouth strategy is successful, then you should have to spend less on, on marketing and, and, and demand gen, right? And most of the case studies in the book, talk about that. Like, hey, the a Company that spent a bunch of money, and now they don't because the word of mouth takes care of some of that. Now, I'm not suggesting that you never have to spend any money on marketing or demand gen. That's ridiculous. But you should be able to more than pay for your talk trigger through a reduction in, um, in advertising spend if you're, if you're doing this well. Um, you know, Robert Stevens, who founded Geek Squad, has an, an amazing quote it 's not one hundred percent true, but it 's true enough and his quote is that advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable mm. and, and there is some Robert, truth by to the that. way yeah he 's amazing there's he some does. truth to that right not hundred percent true, but some truth um, So what we do on measurements, is a couple things one uh, you you want to obviously use a lot of listening to, to uh, capture anecdotal evidence of people talking about it, right? So uh, social media listening, of course, ratings and review sites, um, uh, people talking to their sales rep and mention it, right? So you, you want to train all the people who interact with customers, service, customer success folks, to, if somebody talks about this, to log it somewhere, right, in the CRM. But especially in B2B, where you're probably not going to have as much social chatter as you would in a B2C company, you want to do... Uh, Post rollout research. You want to uh, send a follow up survey to customers. Could be every nth customer, depends on the way your company is set up. Sometimes people tax this on the end of a net promoter score survey. That's how they roll, whatever. And you're going to ask these customers three questions, and you're going to ask them in this sequence uh, email fine. Sometimes people do it uh, over the phone, whatever. These three questions. Question one. Uh, since you purchased from us, mm-hmm. or perhaps an example you mentioned since the completion of your project, since this thing happened, um, have you told anybody about our company? Yes or no? Second question, what did you tell them? Because you're probing then for an unaided mention of the talk trigger. Yeah. Third question, did you mention any of, these three, any of these things? And you give them a pick list of like six things, and one of those things is the talk trigger. So, what you end up with then is a three a prong research approach. A, yes or no word of mouth in general. B, unaided mention of the talk trigger. C, aided mention of the talk trigger. Now, if you do that and you do it consistently, you've got a nice, nice scoreboard for how effective this thing is, this operational differentiator is in driving conversations around your business. Now, can you then run an attribution model against that to determine exactly how many customers are required there and and what the ROI is? Maybe it gets pretty tough. Um, it's not impossible, but you know, at some level, what I always tell people is what's the ROI of precisely knowing your ROI? <laughs> well,
1: I want to thank Jay for sending me a copy. Um... You know, when I got Utility, you were speaking, and it was a gift, and now your second book is a gift, and so uh, <laughs> those are your own little talk triggers. Um, for those of you that have not grabbed a copy, you know, this is a very fast, quick read. It's something like 19 chapters, 200-ish pages, you know, you can, you can blow through it on a flight across the country, or maybe a night or two, chock full of great ideas, and the reason that I wanted Jay to join on the program, and I'm such a fan of the book, is because these type of things can be transformative to your marketing, right? You're always struggling to come up with the next piece of content, the next great marketing program. You are bringing customers on board every single day, and you've got to do a better job of creating a better customer experience. It is critical these days. The best companies um, that are going to be winning are the ones that create a phenomenal customer experience. And Jay's advice is not just going to help you grow your business, but it's going to make for a better customer experience if you do it right. And it's really, right, Jay? I mean, it's not hard to do it right. It's I think what you, you're awakening the giant within, right? The giant opportunity to do something like this and give, give a framework. But I didn't find like, oh my God, he just told me how to make a time machine. It's like you provided a framework and some ideas that, you know, I'm taking to my team and saying, we, we got to do more of this.
0: Yeah, it's super actionable and super practical. And that, that was the, that was a non-negotiable piece of this when we started writing this book as i mentioned earlier like there's a lot of good books out there that say word of mouth is important you don't need to hear that message what you need is here's a recipe for how to actually do a word of mouth strategy that will succeed in any business and so we just took the exact same strategy that we use for our clients and put it in a book. Uh, and I can promise you uh, that, that if you follow the steps in the book, it will work. Yeah. It will change the way you spend money. It will change the way people think about your business. It will change a lot of stuff. It take you three hours to read, and it will affect your business for the rest of your life. So um, you can get it all the places and ways that books can be procured. There's an audio book read by me and Daniel. Uh, TalkTriggers.com is the official website. There's tons of free resources there, uh, discussion guides, videos, uh, supplemental research, like tons of stuff at TalkTriggers.com. Also, the book itself has a Talk Trigger, um, which probably stands to reason. Uh, actually, two. One, if you see the book in a bookstore, it's in the airport right now as well it's hot pink and it has alpacas on the cover. So uh, if you see alpacas on a business book, you'll know it's the right book. (laughs) And then on the back, uh, it says uh, in a box, satisfaction guaranteed. If you buy this book and you don't love it uh, unconditionally, send the authors a note and they'll buy you any other book that you want. And that's true. So if you buy the book and for whatever reason you don't like it, just let me know. Uh, My email address is right there and Daniel and I will buy you any book you want. You want a first edition Bible or something? We'll we'll figure it out. We'll track one down. That's, that's, uh, a, so tough, you, that's a tough. So you, literally ask. no risk, no risk uh, to uh, invest uh, twenty bucks
1: or whatever it is. I got a stat. I don't know if you've heard this. I'm sure, uh, given the fact that you're a New York Times bestseller and written lots of books, my publisher told me, you know, Dave, only like one in ten books is is read. And I'm like, is that of books that people buy? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm on the New York Times best giver list. Like, I give my book out to everybody. And I'm like, how many of those get read? And he goes, you don't want to know. Um, But
0: um, I know. That's why the audiobook's important, right? People uh, people like the audio, audiobooks now. Which
1: Actually, I'm working man. on that. I was I was waiting to get through the rest of this cold that you and I... We, Jay and I both had uh, the dual cold. It's, it's the man cold, too. We're so debilitating. Um, I got it over the holidays, and then it went away, and then I got it again, and now I just can't get rid and of it, it. I'm sure back. you can hear it. Yeah. So one day I'll get I rid know. of this, and I'll finish recording the audiobook. Um, this is my first book, Manufacturing Demand. I'm working on Agents of Change, uh, and I hope to have that out. Boy, has that been tough to get that thing done, just with everything going on, yeah, uh, and, and a bunch of other excuses. But um, man, when you do six books like you've done, I'm, I'm envious. I got a lot of stuff that I'd love to share. But I love the podcast, because it is such a great way to reach out to all of you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jay. One small, <clears throat> excuse me, call to action. If you implement a talk trigger in your buying process, your company, would you reach out to Jay and I on LinkedIn and just let us know? I'd love to share the story of you listening to this podcast, getting inspired, taking action, and then doing something about it. So that's that's my ask. And I know that there's at yeah, least one of it. you out there. Be, be cool. Please. Where, where are you next in the marketing uh, circuit uh, out speaking? Anything coming up?
0: My next—that's a good question. Uh, my next sort of big public event is probably Social Media Marketing World in March in San Diego. I've got a lot of um, kind of company-specific corporate events uh, between now and then all, all across the U.S. Uh, I've got an event for Oracle in Los Angeles and a uh, Caterpillar event in Anaheim, and you know, just I'm um, somewhere every week, which uh, keeps it exciting.
1: Keeps it exciting and, and keeps you buying new suits. And, uh,
0: I, <laughs> that's right. My suit, my suit budget is not uh, not insignificant.
1: No, it's not. All right, man. Great to be with you. Look Thanks, forward buddy, to seeing you out it. there. And for everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.
0: You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high performance marketing.